Welcome to Season 2 of the American Opioid Podcast. If you're new to the podcast, you'll want to start with Season 1. This podcast is intended to educate the public about the opioid crisis and bring attention to the American Opioid Project, a crowdsourced encyclopedia of the opioid crisis that will allow people to understand how it was experienced in all 50 states from a variety of perspectives. Share your story today by visiting www.americanopioid.org. We now begin with the first episode of the second season of American Opioid. A five-year-old girl named Jane Merrick who we met briefly at the beginning of Season 1, is about to be picked up from daycare by her parents. Just like on any other day. But unlike any other day, they are not going home. Instead, they are venturing deep into the inner sanctum of the opioid crisis. Jane could tell that something was different when her parents picked her up one day from City Day Nursery. Her mother was fidgety, tapping her nails on the armrest and sighing frequently. Her father was a bit more controlled, but she could tell he was not in a good mood, and she refrained from speaking with him. They pulled up in front of a house that she had never seen before, and her father got out. Be right back, he said. He headed to the house, leaving them inside the car. Jane's mother was taking deep, shallow breaths. It was eerie. Jane tried to calm herself by thinking back to her time that day with Matt. She was only a year older than him, but in kid years, that was a lot. She enjoyed a size advantage over most of the other kids in their quadrant of the sprawling daycare facility. A boy had tried to come over and play with the crayons, but she would have none of it. She pushed him away and pinched his arm, making him cry. She then walked back to Matt, her responsibility extinguished. Matt continued his coloring with an audience of one. It had been a good day, until now. Jane's mother turned her head to her left 90 degrees, as if she was going to speak to someone in the empty driver's seat. How was your day, Jane? she drawled. Good! Where are we? I'm hungry, Jane replied. That's nice, dear, her mother replied in a flat voice. She did not turn all the way around to look at Jane. Instead, she looked to the right, stared at the front door of the house. 
no further words. Finally, Jane's father stepped out of the house and came back to the car. When he got in, he handed her mother a brown paper bag and then started the engine. She eagerly rifled through it, like a child handed a stuffed stocking on Christmas morning. Jesus Christ, her father said. Not in front of Jane. At least wait until we get home. Just drive. Jane can't see, her mother replied. They did that sometimes. Assume that she could not understand what they were talking about. Jane was seated in the middle of the back seat, as usual. Her mother repositioned herself in her seat so that Jane could not see what she took out of the bag. As they pulled onto the freeway, Jane heard her mother exhale loudly after a sharp intake of breath. Her father looked over to her mother. It was difficult for Jane to understand the expression on her father's face. As he drove, he kept glancing at her mother, then to something in her mother's lap. Ah, screw it, Jane's father finally said. He pulled over onto the shoulder of the freeway and turned off the engine. Positioning himself so that his back was to Jane, he rummaged through the bag. Jane could hear the whoosh of cars going by at high speed. They were so fast and so close that Jane could feel the car slightly rock each time. She was too scared to speak. Jane heard her father exhale slowly. Lord, that's good, he whispered. His previous caution about what his daughter saw seemed to melt away, and he set a pencil-like object down in the narrow space between his seat and her mother's. Jane saw the needle. A minute later, she heard her father snoring. Daddy? Mommy? She croaked, trying not to cry. They did not respond. The vehicle continued to shake from the passing cars. She felt herself become unmoored, like she was floating away from the situation. Her mind began to drift, and she imagined herself at daycare again, where things were clear and predictable. She did not know how much time had passed before the stranger tapped on the glass. She shrank back from him, but he grinned reassuringly and removed his hat, revealing neatly combed hair. She took in the rest of him, the dark blue uniform, the sparkly badge reading Regal City Police Department. She rolled down the window a little bit. Hello, little girl, he said. Are you all right? Are they your mommy and daddy? He gestured to her parents in the front seats. She nodded. Looks like they're taking a nap, huh? She nodded again. Can you open the window some more? Don't be afraid. 
I'm here to help you. She did as he asked. He reached in and unlocked her mother's door. Then he opened it, took a good, long look inside, shook his head, and closed the door gently. Another man walked up, dressed the same way. The first man conferred briefly with the second, who stepped to the side and spoke into a radio. The first man looked at Jane, pressed his lips into a thin line, shook his head again slowly. The grin had become a grimace. The man hesitated for a bit, then reached into his pocket and took out a phone. He walked backward several steps into clumps of grass away from the vehicle on its passenger side and held the phone out in front of him horizontally, screen facing him. He tapped the screen with his finger several times. Jane's memory of what happened afterward was a blur. She remembered being back home in her room and her parents having a loud argument in their bedroom. She felt oddly relieved. Verbal fireworks were preferable to the suffocating silence that would have left her with an even worse sense of foreboding. The next morning, her parents took her with them to an office building and left her to wait in the lobby while they spoke with someone in an office. Another day that involved a great deal of waiting. She hated it, the feeling of not knowing what would happen next. The receptionist smiled at her, then walked over and gave her a juicy fruit, saying, Here you go, sweetie. She liked the receptionist. When her parents came out, both looked stressed, though less than before. They took her home, and did not speak to her any more of the matter. When she asked them what happened, they shushed her and said everything was fine. Life at home continued as usual. But outside home, something had changed. Over the following week, Jane could feel it when she was at school and in daycare. A creeping realization entered her consciousness, an awareness that a number of grown-ups were staring at her. Teachers, lunch ladies, caregivers. The sudden attention made her uncomfortable. What had happened? At one point, at one point, Jane excused herself to go to the bathroom and looked in the mirror. She was the same as before, no change in her appearance. Her clothes were rumpled and unkempt, her hair twisted and knotted up, but that was how she usually looked. After the lunch period ended later that week, she was standing in line with the others to go back to the classroom. The lunch lady, who she noticed had been watching her with a keen eye, was speaking with her teacher, Mrs. Appleby, who then turned her head to look directly at Jane. She quickly looked away. Was she in trouble? At the end of the school day, Mrs. Appleby walked over to Jane after she dismissed the class. Just a minute, Jane, she said. She waited for the last students to trickle out, 
then sat down in the seat beside Jane, who unconsciously leaned away. Don't worry, Mrs. Appleby said. You're not in trouble. I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. Jane looked down at her desk. Fine, she mumbled. How do you like the tablet? Mrs. Appleby asked. It's good. You know, it's amazing. When I was your age, most people didn't have a computer. There wasn't even an internet. No cell phones, either. She laughed. Now, even kindergarteners like you have tablets and access to all kinds of resources we couldn't have imagined. And to you, it's just normal. I hope you realize how fortunate you are to get it all for free. Jane nodded. Mrs. Appleby paused, then chose her next words carefully. There is something else that I wanted to ask about. Something that, I think, could help you. Jane, how was your lunch today? Good, Jane responded. Mrs. Appleby nodded, then said what she was going to say anyway. On the first day of school, I passed out a form to everyone and told everyone to give it to their parents. Here's another copy of it. She put a paper in front of Jane. It had a lot of words and blank boxes. Do you remember this? Jane nodded. Did you give it to your parents? Jane nodded again. What did they say? I don't remember, Jane replied. Mrs. Appleby smiled and handed her the paper. Jane took it home. The next morning, Jane showed up with the form. She gave it to Mrs. Appleby, who frowned after seeing the empty lines, the blank boxes. Did you give it to your parents? Mrs. Appleby asked. Jane nodded. What did they say? They said it's not for us. They said we don't need it. Later that day, Jane was called into the principal's office. She knew him because he always made remarks at the podium at the beginning of assemblies. He was a short Asian man with wire-rimmed glasses and a gray suit jacket. He smiled broadly at her from behind his massive gray desk while she slouched in a chair that was too big, her feet dangling several inches above the floor. How are you, Jane? the principal asked. Good. The principal spoke for what seemed like a long time. The school wanted its entire student body to do well, to succeed. That included Jane. She had lots of help available to her. All she had to do was ask. If anything troubling was happening in her life, inside or outside of school, they had a counselor she could talk to any time she wanted. We are here to serve you, he finished with a flourish. She had no idea why all of this was happening, but she kind of liked the attention. It made her feel special. None of the other kindergarteners had been called into the principal's office like this. She wished it would happen again in the future. When she got back to the classroom, she held her head high. That evening, while she was watching Wheel of Fortune with her parents, there was a knock on the door. Her father got up 
peered through the eye hole. It's a woman, he said. He opened the door. Hello, Mr. Merrick, a familiar voice said. My name is Martha Appleby. I'm Jane's kindergarten teacher. Oh, I see, Jane's father said, sounding puzzled. Uh, please, come in. Is everything okay? Did Jane do something? No, nothing to worry about, Mrs. Appleby responded. Just a separate issue I wanted to discuss briefly with you. Jane smiled and waved at Mrs. Appleby as she came in, but her teacher seemed distracted. Next thing Jane knew, her parents were seated with Mrs. Appleby at the dining table while she stayed in the living room. The TV was still on, and her mother had increased the volume before heading to the other room, but Jane could still make out what they were saying. Your daughter would benefit greatly from this program. So many other students do. Look, we don't need this. We can take care of our daughter just fine, thank you. We don't want the government involved in anything else having to do with Jane. We don't trust them at all, after they posted that horrible picture on social media. Wait, but didn't they replace it with a picture where her face is blurred? Yes, but everyone we know saw the original picture. All my siblings. Cousins were calling, asking if it was really me, if it was really Jane in the back seat. They say it went viral, that people across the entire country, the entire world, saw it. Can you imagine how humiliating that is? Silence. Then Mrs. Appleby's voice, saying, I'm sorry for what you've had to go through. They should have replaced the picture with the blurred version much sooner. Jane heard what sounded like sobbing. We were too scared to complain. At the station, they kept threatening to press charges and take Jane away from us unless my husband and I agreed to rehab and a bunch of other stuff over the next year. They said they didn't want to break up another family, especially since we have no criminal record. I guess it was more than fair, given what they caught us doing. Me and my husband, we were let off the hook, and were grateful. But they insisted on posting that picture on social media to make an example of us. To shame us. They only replaced it with the blurred version because of some new law that makes it illegal to post a picture of a minor without permission. Otherwise, it would still be up there today, and we wouldn't be able to do anything to stop it. Mrs. Appleby was silent for a moment. I understand that you don't want your family to be humiliated again. Privacy is very important. Perhaps they were influenced by the images coming out of Ohio and Florida and so many other states and wanted to prove that it was happening here too. But regardless, what's done is done. This program would allow her to have free lunch at school, and no one else would know. She would not be distinguishable from any other student. That's how it has to be, to comply with the law. Jane's mother was unimpressed. Jane eats lunch already. Yes, Mrs. Appleby said, but under this program, she would have a well-balanced meal, unlike what she has now. 
I know what she's eating because the lunch lady told me. Twinkies, a fruit roll-up, a bag of Doritos, soda. She needs something more solid, more nutritious. And I think you know that. This program can give her what she needs. You just have to fill out and sign this form. That's it. Silence. Then Jane's mother, who sounded weary, said, It's been hard these days to afford. Her father cut in. Look, we appreciate you coming to our home to give us this form. We really do. We know you didn't have to do that. We'll go ahead and we'll fill it out for that reason alone. We've already been humiliated anyway, and it can't get much worse. I want my baby girl to be healthy. Fantastic, Mrs. Appleby said. Here's another form for you, with more information. As you can see, your daughter will be able to participate in other nutrition programs as well, like the school breakfast program. Then there's one for the summer, when school is out, and another one for eligible children in daycare facilities. Also, lots of schools, including ours, automatically waive field trip fees for students who are certified for free or reduced-price meals. She handed over the forms. The following week, Jane began to receive a hot lunch in the cafeteria, served on a styrofoam tray. In the beginning, she missed what she had wolfed down before, especially the Twinkie, but she got used to the new food. For the first time, she felt full after lunch. It was nice. But on the very first day that Jane started having free lunch, someone else underwent a transition that was not as pleasant. Across the turnpike, amidst the fancy neighborhoods of High Falls, in the spacious living room of a neocolonial, the anti-overdose drug naloxone was sprayed up the nostrils of a woman named Marjorie Kane, summoning her back to the world of the living. In the next episode, Marjorie Kane resorts to increasingly desperate measures to access opioids, placing herself and her son in jeopardy. Join us next time on the American Opioid Podcast. <laughs>